Genesis 24, and we'll look at the last verse and go from there. I want to teach tonight about a lady by the name of Rebecca and look at what some things in the scripture teaches us about family and faith and all of the things connected with that. But I want to read verse 67 in Genesis 24, and then we'll pray. And Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for another opportunity to look into the scriptures. It's marvelous to be able to gather the beginning of the week to look into the word, to hear what you have to say and to give us insight and encouragement, sometimes admonishment. I pray that you ministered all of our hearts tonight in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. I think Genesis 24 is one of my favorite chapters. It's beautiful because it tells the story of how Rebecca became Isaac's Wife, the beginning of chapter 24, Abraham was concerned that Isaac would not marry any lady of the Canaanites. He says that in verse three. So there's this long journey back to Abraham's family in order to secure a bride for Isaac and his servant and servants. They went and they brought back Rebekah. Sarah had died, and when she died, she was 127 years of age, the Bible says. So obviously, Isaac was a little broken and hurting because of that, but Rebekah brought comfort into his life. In chapter 25, we then learn that Abraham and Isaac having brought Rebekah there into that area, Isaac was 40 years of age in verse 20. And Isaac prayed for his wife, and it took about 20 years for Rebekah to conceive. So that's a good period of time. And then you can see when she gave birth in verse 23, she had two nations that were in her womb. One was named Esau, the other Jacob. And she couldn't understand why there was so much kicking and movement and everything inside of her and why she felt the way that she did. And the Lord had to explain to her, two nations are inside of you. So there she was receiving from the Lord in verse 23, prophecy regarding those children telling her that the elder would even serve the younger now here is what i want you to see it tells us in verse 27 esau was a hunter jacob was more of a young man spending time with mom in the tents isaac loved esau because he did eat of his venison so they had something in common Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, naturally, you, you would think that the love and the affection would be the same from the parents toward both kids. But there seemed to have been some kind of affinity 
from the one to the other. And if there is ever any kind of favoritism, do you think that'll cause problems? Oh, it probably will. And, and typically the children can tell if they think somebody's being favored above them. And don't you worry when people become adults, they'll let you know. They'll, they'll definitely tell you. They may be teasing, but they'll certainly tell you. You did more for her than you ever did for me. And you let him get away with stuff you would kill us over and that kind of a thing there. But in verse 30, Esau was tired when he came in from the field. And you can see where Jacob told him, I'll let you have some of this food that I made if you just sell me your birthright. Now, why in the world is this man thinking about a birthright at this point? Somebody had to put this in his heart and in his mind. He obviously knew that being the firstborn meant there were certain privileges and rights that were extended to Esau that wouldn't come to him. So this is what was on on his mind. Well, in chapter 26, then, what we learn about Rebekah is that she is working feverishly to maintain a relationship with Jacob that puts him in the forefront. Now, how do I know this? Well, because in chapter 27, it says Isaac was old, old man. He was losing his eyesight. And it came to a point where he said to Esau, you know what kind of deer meat I like. Now, you take your weapons, go out there and hunt, and then you come and make me that savory food that I love so much. Well, Rebecca was somewhere listening. And when she heard Isaac say that, she then called Jacob and said, Jacob, I just heard your dad say he's getting ready to die here pretty soon, and he's going to give the blessing to Esau, so you and I have to do something. And I want to make sure you end up with this blessing. So you go... Bring me a couple of animals. I'm going to dress out the meat. I'm going to put it in front of Dad. I mean, after all, Dad can't see too well anyhow. And you're going to take some of that fur from that animal since your brother is really hairy. We're going to put a little bit of that all over you. And you're going to stand in front of your pops. And he's going to end up conferring the blessing upon you. Now, obviously, when you read chapter 27, you wonder how in the world is it that this man couldn't differentiate between their voices. Now, he did say... It feels like Esau, but it's Jacob's voice. Now, once that happened, he should have stopped. That's not what Isaac did. He went on and conferred the blessing on on Esau. But here is the point that I want to start off with as we look at Rebecca and her seed and this family. Why in the world would this woman conspire with her son to deceive her husband? What is it in her? What was it in her heart? How is it that she she wanted the son that she loved so much to succeed that it would cause her to basically practice deception? And of course, what was in her quite naturally ended up in Jacob because Jacob had to go along with it. You see, the deception in the mom comes to be the deception in the son. And, and this kind of a web spins itself throughout the whole family. 
The Bible says provide things honest in the sight of all men. If you want a blessing from God, don't try to steal something from someone else. Don't try to rob another person. Don't be jealous or envious of anybody else because if God has a blessing for one, God has a blessing for others. Amen? You don't need to steal. And besides, when you go down that road, there is a little scripture in the Bible that says something like this. You reap what you what? So. So he basically ends up getting the blessing. And of course, he had already talked Esau into selling his birthright, which the scripture says Esau disdained or hated his birthright. So he didn't think that much of it in the first place anyhow. But I will tell you this, there are plenty of people who early on didn't like something that later on they began to appreciate. I've seen kids that were raised in homes where the parents were bilingual and trying to teach the kids the language. And the kids tell their parents as they're growing up, I don't want to speak that language. Just talk to me in English. And then when their mom and dad are gone, then they wish they had that heart language. And they wish they had learned that. See, Sometimes what is precious to you and should be precious to you is something that you look lightly upon. And later it becomes something of importance. Well, in Genesis 27, it says here that in verse, verse number 15, Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house and put them upon Jacob, her younger son. Notice how detailed and intricate this plan is to practice deception. If you lie once, that thing will spin and you won't mind practicing deception in other ways. May not seem like it, but that's what will happen. So when, when, of course, he ends up giving the blessing to Esau, excuse me, to Jacob, Esau comes, having made the food, brought it to dad, then he says to his father, I'm ready for you to bless me, and that's when Isaac suddenly was horrified because he realized he was deceived. Uh, he felt from touching Jacob that that was Esau, but he heard Jacob's voice. I really think that there are times where your senses don't always play tricks on you. Haven't you heard people say if it walks like a duck, acts like a duck, it's probably Jacob? Okay. I mean, really, if, if, if it's his voice, then that's exactly who it is. And Esau was in despair. And here's what he said. Don't you have at least a blessing for me, a blessing for me. <clears throat> now let's find out what, what Isaac said to Jacob in verse 28 and 29. Here's the blessing. Therefore, God give thee the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to the, to you. Be Lord over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth you and blessed be everyone that blesses you. He gave this blessing believing this was Esau. But this blessing fell upon Jacob. So just as the Lord had prophesied, 
the stronger shall serve the weaker, the elder shall serve the younger. The Lord saw all of this happening even from the womb. He knew it was going to happen. And when Esau comes along, verse 33, Isaac trembled and Esau started begging. He said in verse 36, the last sentence, don't you have a blessing reserved for me? Now, let me say this. There's a difference between a blessing and a prophecy. A prophecy is a prediction. A prophecy involves a degree of foretelling. Of course, there is the inspired utterance that comes with that. But a blessing, note the language and the grammar of verse 28. God give you the dew of heaven. That is to say, may the Lord bless you. That's a blessing. That's not a prophecy. If you're laying hands on someone or praying for someone or I should say blessing one of your babies or something like that, then you're saying, Lord, uh, may you grant this child health all the days of his or her life. That's not a prophecy, but that is a blessing. And it's a proper thing to say, as you can see in verse 28 and, and 29. Well, finally, when Esau talks to his father in verse 38 and with despair, he says, don't you have but one blessing? See, Esau's broken. He realizes his brother has beat him out of two significant things, the birthright and the blessing. And it was supposed to come to him as the older one, the first one he despised. This one he certainly craved, and he didn't even, he doesn't have either of them now. But when you look at verse 39, and look at what Isaac then said to Esau, he says, your dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth. Doesn't that look like verse 28? The fatness of the earth. What he said to Jacob, then he said, and of the dew of heaven from above. Doesn't it say something similar in verse 28? Looks like, looks like Isaac here is trying to redress the balance. And he had already told Esau, I've given your brother the blessing and you have to serve him. But notice what he says in verse 40. By the sword you'll live and serve your brother and it'll come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So he blesses him, and there's a degree of prophecy to let him know your seed and you are not going to serve your brother forever. Now, all of this happened because one lady heard a conversation. And the conversation she heard was that Isaac wanted to bless Esau. and She did not want Esau to have that blessing. Well, Esau was a, a gentleman who the Bible says had run off and married some of the married a lady of the Hittites. And that has now given Rebecca an excuse to get Jacob out of there, because once Esau realized he got beat out of the blessing, there was such hostility in his heart towards his brother that he said, my father is an old man. Pretty soon we'll be grieving his death. And no sooner than his body turns cold in that grave, I'm going to put Jacob in there next to him. That's what Esau said. The Bible says he said that in his heart. 
But obviously he started telling people because his mother, Rebecca, heard of it. And you know what the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth does what? Speaks. If you're bitter enough, if you're angry enough, if you're upset with someone, you will talk about it verbally, out loud. Even if you're not talking to other people, you'll talk to yourself. You'll sit there in the chair while you're drinking coffee. I can't believe they did this to me. Who in the world do they think they are? I'm not that kind of a person they can fool around with. See, it, it, it'll come out. And, and Rebecca, she knows that death is imminent for her son. So she, she thinks about this. And she says, Jacob, look, uh, Esau's going to kill you when dad is gone. And I can't bear losing dad and you on the same day. It didn't matter to her what happened to Esau. And that's one of the twins. And she also gave birth to him. Now, why is it that affections that a parent can have for their kids can be so great, so strong for the one and not necessarily for the other? But as you saw earlier, Isaac loved Jake. Isaac loved Esau. Esau loved him back. I guarantee it. And sometimes when that connection is there, it can very well create a little bit of tension. And this is with a covenant. This is with faith in God. And Esau goes out and marries someone that doesn't have a covenant with God, not even connected to the relationship that Abraham has with the king. So then Rebecca says, Esau, you've got to get out of here. And says to Jacob, you've got to get out of here. And Jacob slowly makes his way to the land of his fathers. <clears throat> and as Jacob is going there, he had been told that you're going to your uncle's place. And this is where you're going to have to stay for a little while. And, and sure enough, I'm telling you if, you, if you, if you thought Rebecca was something, uh, Rebecca's brother really knows how to spin that web and get it going. So when when Jacob comes into that particular land, he arrives in the east at a well. And I wonder if it's the same well that Abraham's servant came to back in chapter 24. Nevertheless, when he gets to that well, he said, oh, my goodness, he said, it's been a long trip, God. I need you to help me. So that the woman that comes and is going to deal with these sheep, that be the one. And looks up, here comes Rachel, because he's already been talking to a bunch of other shepherds. And they said, look, we can't take the stone off the rock until everybody's here. Once everybody's here, we can water them. He walks up to Rachel. They said, that's Laban's daughter right there. He goes kissing on her and everything. And she runs home, tells daddy. Daddy runs back. They take him there. He hangs around for a little while. And he says, I love Rachel. Yeah. And he said, you know what? I'll serve you for seven years if you let me have that pretty little girl. Now, it gives descriptions of Rachel and her sister Leah. It says Leah was tender-eyed. That is to say she might have had weak eyesight or big eyes or something. But Rachel was well-favored, which was a good Hebrew way of saying amply endowed. And Jacob... Loved Rachel. Seven years, he said he'd labor for her. He said, Uncle Laban, I love this girl. 
I want this girl, and please help me. Laban said, oh, sure, you know, you, seven years, I mean, that's, yeah, you can have her at the end of the time. And the Bible says those few years were just like a few days. That man so loved that girl. So then they get ready for the, the Eastern wedding ceremony. And, of course, the ladies are veiled. And you've got all of these tents. And family comes from everywhere. And and here is Jacob. He is just absolutely excited about being able to spend that night with that woman that he loves by the name of Rachel. And somewhere in the evening time, when that sun is setting, Jacob slipped Leah in there. And Mr. Jacob spent the evening with Leah under the impression that it was Rachel. Now, how in the world that happened, I'm never going to know. But I do know this. When uh, he realized what happened, he went to his dad, her dad, and he said, look, it is not the custom in this area for the younger to marry before the firstborn. So we have to honor the custom, even if it means I've got to lie to you. So I guess now Jacob is kind of realizing what what it feels like to be on the other side of deception now. Yeah. Because he loved this girl with all his heart. Now we know, as the scripture says, in total he gave 14 years for the, for the girls, Jacob, uh, for Rachel and Leah, then gave another six years for the cattle. 20 years he was there. And he's been deceived the whole time, over and over again. In order for the deception to take place with this marriage, not only did Laban have to be complicit, Leah had to be involved with it also. And Rachel had to muzzle her mouth knowing what was going to take place and not spill the beans. That means three other people are involved with this deception. This is the family Jacob's mama came from. All of them had a covenant with God. All of them say they got some kind of faith in the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and all of that. And here we've got people that say they have some kind of connection with deity and we got deception in every corner. Why would people lie like that? Why do people lie like that? Why are Christians sometimes deceitful and deceptive? How could a man use his daughters like that in order to perpetuate a particular tradition or custom? It's because he wanted to maintain his face in front of all the tribal members and the people in that region. So obviously love is not the most important thing, but the custom was the most important thing. But for us that are Christians, we understand that the Bible says provide things honest in the sight of all men. Lie not one to another. That's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. But in this instance, we don't have have that at all. But these young folks are being used. Rebecca obviously had taught Jacob in his youth about what it meant to have the birthright. That's why he wanted his brother to sell it to him. And later on, he ends up with that blessing because his mom deceives him. He comes over further into the Middle East. And right there, we find that that his uncle is as bad as his mom and more crafty 
But remember, Rebecca's designs was intricate, too. I mean, she knew exactly how to get some of Esau's clothing. She's going to make the meal. Don't be deceptive. I've got a friend who doesn't like church and doesn't like God now because when he was a kid, as in five, six, seven, and eight, his mom, who was lazy and didn't want to work, would send him and his siblings to church to beg. And the way she taught them to do it was to go to church and mention to some of the other adults the hardships they were facing at home in hopes that other people in the church would feel sorry for them. See, it's a scheme, folks. That's, that's deception. And, and this is why even to this day, this gentleman doesn't want to have anything to do with God. Yeah, terrible, terrible, terrible thing for that to, to take place. But it's, it's a scheme. It was in Rebecca. It got in Jacob. It was in Laban. It was in his daughters. Let's, let's move forward here. Notice in the end of chapter 29, verse 27, Laban says to Jacob, if you would just fulfill her week of marriage and serve with me seven other years. <laughs> All this free labor is good, folks. I'm telling you, free labor. Uh, Rachel must have been one more woman if that man volunteered for seven years. Yeah, seven years she had to be a special Special lady. Verse 28, Jacob did so, fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also, and Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, a handmaid. Okay, so verse 30, he loved Rachel. Okay, but for Leah, he served an additional seven years. But verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her room, but Rachel was barren. Now, that little sentence, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, that tells you the kind of emotional instability there was in this little triangle. To say that Jacob was unhappy would be an understatement. He wanted Rachel. But to end up with the one he didn't want, that's why he despised her. But let's not be too hypocritical about it. Uh, his despite didn't keep him from going in and out of that tent having babies with her. Yeah. But the bottom line is the one that he loved, he didn't end up with in the beginning. And where he wanted one, now he has two. What, what was it that he stole from, from uh, Esau? The birthright and the blessing. See? And Uncle Laban is making sure that he's reaping in full measure what he's sown. Yeah. The, the, the things oftentimes that uh, we do, they do flourish and they spring up and they're unavoidable. Sin and its consequences. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The Lord forgave them, covered them with the skins as a beautiful type of forgiveness, but they had to leave the garden. Jacob loved Rachel, but yet he still had to serve a whole lot longer in the midst of this hostility. And I wonder, with all of this going on, and Leah having one baby after another, being hated by Jacob, 
and Rachel unable to conceive, but is the real love bride of Jacob. I wonder what that did to the relationship between Rachel and Leah. See? Yeah. If, if you're the sister that has to stand back and watch your lover in the arms of your sister because of the schemes of dad, how angry would you be? Yeah, that, that produced that produce some hostility. You better believe it. It would. And at the center of all of this is mama, and it all began with what? A conversation she heard. Conversation she heard. Okay, so it's interesting that at the end of Genesis 29, Leah really wanted Jacob's affection. And when she was able to get him in there so that she could conceive, you'll notice in verses 32 through 35 of chapter 29, the babies were named essentially out of her emotional anguish until she gets to Judah. In verse 32, names him Reuben, surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. God, I'm hurting. I'm in this tent by myself. I'm sad. My sister has the man that I'm also married to. He never wanted to be married to me. I'm lonely. But she conceives when Jacob comes in there to fulfill his husbandly duties. Well, he didn't have a choice because he had already told uh, Laban that he'd fulfill her week and do what was honorable and right. She conceived again in verse 33, and she said, the Lord has heard me that I was hated, named him Simeon. That's what that means, to hear. See, she's still alone. Night after night, knowing that the affection that she wants to receive, she can't receive. Then again, in verse 34, Levi, the word means join or linked or connected. She says, surely now my husband will be joined to me because I keep giving him boys. I mean, in the Middle East, boys are important. That's how you carry on the family name. You perpetuate the tribe. She was longing for something she was not receiving in her marriage. A lot of people like that. They're not getting out of their marriage the fulfillment that they desire, and they don't know what to do. They get involved with all kinds of things, drugs, adultery, illicit things. To deal with the deep hurt, the pain, the bitterness that they feel. They think uh, uh, their spouse is stepping out on them. But finally, in verse 35, she conceives again and notice what she says. Now I will praise the Lord. That's the way to be. She named him Judah, basically saying, I need to get my eyes off of this man and get my eyes on God. Because if you're going to focus on the human element in the relationship, you're going to be let down over. And over and over again. But if you have your eyes on the king, then you can say, I can praise God despite the marital condition. And Father, you're good. And I love you. And I worship you. And all of us should be able to do that regardless of what we're facing in our life. Stop looking at what you don't have and stop naming your problems after your hurts and your pains, and just begin to praise God right there where you are. Let your praise become your seed that you raise up. Let your praise become the harvest 
that you produce in the presence of God. Let your worship and your praise be the one thing that nobody can take away from you. That's what she did. Yeah, that's what she did. And if you ever feel any lack in your relationships, find it in your praise with God. She did that. Well, when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any kids in chapter 30, verse 1, she said, give me some kids or I'm going to die. And Jacob got mad at her and said, well, look, who am I? I'm not God. Well, she didn't care. She just wanted kids. And so she decided, she said, well, I'll give you my maid. Haven't we seen this picture? I mean, isn't this what somebody did before? I mean, once you start down this road, everything doesn't always work out the way that it's supposed to. We know kind of how, how some of this will end. I can tell you now how some of it's going to end. Later on, it's going to end with Joseph being sold. See? You always end up with something bad out of ideas of the flesh. You're trying to produce something, trying to make something happen. And Jacob, he wasn't much better. You can see in uh, verse 14 was the time of the wheat harvest. Reuben brought in uh, some mandrakes. That's the old English way to describe an aphrodisiac. And when she had those, she gave them to his mother. And Rachel said to Leah, give me those mandrakes so that Jacob can come spend a little time with me. And so Leah traded with Rachel for Jacob's love. Now Jacob comes home, discovers the transaction in verse 16, and then he goes in verse 17 and sleeps with Leah again. So here's a man that's hiring himself out. I'm telling you folks, it goes from bad to worse. When that flesh dominates a family. So I, I told you that that those mandrakes were believed to be like an aphrodisiac, you know, stimulate a person, get them excited. When I was a kid in junior high school, I don't know who in the world ever came up with this, but they used to always talk about this stuff called Spanish fly. Yeah, it was, it was like a little drop or something, a perfume or something like that. You, they, they said, Oh, you, you put that on a girl or a guy. I'm telling you, they're going to be hot to trot for you. So I mean, little, little kids all over the place going down to the little five and dime store to get some Spanish fly. And I mean, we'd be in elementary school slinging that stuff on people. <laughs> Oh, the carnality of not knowing the king. Not knowing the king. But obviously, because of how God made things within vegetation, just like there are uh, plants and stuff like that that even Native American Indians knew how to use for wounds and medicines, People in the Middle East have found the kinds of plant life that produces stimulation. And this is what they were after here. Jacob comes out of that field in verse 16, spends the night with Leah. Leah ends up 
having another child. But finally, in verse 22, God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and opened up her womb. And this is how we end up with Joseph and Benjamin. Now, this this man, Jacob, obviously was a good farmer because he learned how to farm from his dad and granddad. And he was a good rancher because he learned that from them also. And the rest of chapter 30 is all about Jacob, how he basically had changed Jacob's wages 10 times, had did everything possible to beat him out of the best cattle, the best prices. And Jacob came to the conclusion that I'm never going to get ahead if I don't get away from you. Now Laban is already testifying, saying, Please don't leave. I know that I'm blessed because of you. Jacob says to Laban, if you're blessed because of me, that's fine. But how can I provide for my family if I don't get away from you so the blessing of Abraham can be upon me? So Laban starts saying, hold on now. You still owe me some money now before you get out of here. You still owe me some stuff. And Jacob said, look, I'll take all the speckled and spotted and striped cattle. And I'm going to go three days journey away from all of your cattle and leave them alone. And all the cattle that reproduce, I'm going to hold on if they produce those same speckled, spotted cattle. But he said, all the ones that don't reproduce, I'm giving back to you. So that's exactly what he did. The weaker ones ended up going back to Laban and he ended up with a great herd and, and, and Jacob had more than Laban. And the Bible says Laban's countenance turned against Jacob. What does that mean? I mean, sometimes people love you so long as you're not doing as well as they're doing. But the moment you start doing well, you're no longer a friend or a peer. You're an adversary. Now, folks, I'll let you in on a little secret. You should always be glad when anyone succeeds at what they're doing, if they're serving God. And you should raise your hand and bless them and say, it is marvelous how God is prospering you and opening up doors for you. But if you begin to look at someone else's success and abundance as the adversary or the Lord removing from you what is good as a subtraction rather than an addition, then you're going to end up with a bad heart. And that's what Laban had. Yeah. When you practice deceit and you've been tricking and lying to your nephew for years, it's very hard to ever get over and think that he's doing right. I've told you this a hundred times. My dad Raise me telling me a man that is a thief has a hard time believing there's anybody that's honest. He spent all of his life stealing from people, lying to people. He can't believe there's actually an honest person on this planet. That's how Laban was. He was constantly accusing Jacob of wrongdoing. When at this point in Jacob's life, he was trying to be honorable, wherein when he was younger, he was deceptive. When he was younger, he was tricky. But now, he doesn't like being deceived anymore. And he just feels like the best thing for him to do is to be honest and honorable. And although it takes God sometimes years to work on our character 
and bring us from here to there, it's always a whole lot better for us later on when he changes us. There has to be transformation in our character. And if you think Rebecca and her family is difficult and hard to deal with, if the Lord gives me liberty and we get to working on Jacob and his kids, you'll see something different, entirely different there too. But all of this started because somebody decided because they heard a conversation they were going to send their kid away. And you know what the Bible says about Esau? It says that once he found that Rebekah and Isaac sent Jacob away to marry somebody from that family over there in the Middle East. says when he realized that, he traveled to where Ishmael was and took a wife of the daughters of Ishmael because he knew it displeased his mom. And his death. So what are you saying? I'm saying some actions that we take, some things that we do produce rebellion in people and they all go off and do the exact opposite of what you wanted them to do. That's what Esau did. He said, I'll go see Uncle Ishmael. Nobody else around here seems to want to talk to him. And he went over there and talked to Ishmael. Ishmael's daughter was there and he married her. And he forever yoked that whole Ishmael and Esau clan. But if you were to go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 24, where Abraham said to his servant, promise me, put your hand under my thigh. See, the thigh being a a euphemism, dealing with the groin, the place of progenitory, producing seed. Put your hand right up under here and swear to me that you would not take a, a wife for my son of these Canaanite people. But, you know, when you read this story and you read it slower, sometimes you wonder, I wonder if it would have been better if he had married that Canaanite rather than going through all of this. But, no, I don't think it would have been. With all the struggles that the family had with faith, imagine the struggles they would have had if he would have really got involved with some people that didn't have a covenant with God and didn't love God. In the end, he broke away from Laban, and he escaped had a a head start from Laban three days. Had his wives, his kids, they were on camels, they're moving towards Mount Gilead. Laban gets word that they're leaving, but what Jacob doesn't know is when they took off and left, uh, Jacob's wife, Rachel, whom he loved, she stole her daddy's gods, stole the statues. And Laban comes hauling after them, And catches him within a week or so in the mountain. And he says, what in the world is wrong with you? You still off in the middle of the night with my kids and grandkids and won't even let me spend time with all of these folks. I need to kiss them before they go. What's wrong with you? Well, God had already spoke to Laban in the middle of the night in a vision and said, you be very careful how you handle Jacob because he's blessed of me. You Be very careful. So he put on this big front, but he knew he wasn't going to do anything. But he did tell Jacob, somebody's a thief in your midst. And uh, Jacob said, well, you're a liar, but I'll let you go through every tent. They went through every tent, never could find anything. 
They came to where Rachel was. Rachel was sitting up there on her camel, and she had placed the little images right up under her within the baggage on the camel, and she told her dad and them, I can't get down because the custom of the ladies is upon me. She skirted off in the distance with those gods when they left. Now, here's the thing. All of this that he went through and then come towards the end, find out your wife's a thief. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, folks, this is this is quite the story. You know, your wife's a thief and she and she looked daddy right in the face and never even told that she had him. Looked her husband right in the face and act like I don't know what any of y'all are talking about. Guys, who in the world would steal anything around here? Why would you come here thinking we would do that? But but a family that walks with God, if this shows us anything, imperfect people still can be used by God in a covenant to produce things that are holy and pure much later. When you read Matthew chapter 1 and you look at all of those he begat, she begat, and so on and so forth, that's boring to a lot of people. But when you take the time to read the stories behind all of that, you see this was an adventure. I mean, it wasn't happy times for everybody. And when you think about your own family and the things that you struggle with and the battles you face and the obstacles you have to overcome and the daily decisions that have to be made, some good, some bad, the devil working in this way, there's hostility and envy and jealousy and anger and wrath. And despite all of that, God in his grace is still trying to operate through you and me. Yeah, it's beautiful to think that God doesn't give up on us. And what's of importance to him is his covenant. And despite sometimes our displays and manifestations of the flesh, the covenant holds strong through the decades. Because God had told Jacob, you're blessed. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And Jacob had said to the Lord, if you help me to go there and get back here alive, I promise you everything, a tenth of everything, I'll give to you. I'll give to you. And he honored God. And in the end, when he finally came back into the territory, having escaped Laban, you know what he had to do? He had to face a problem from the past. He got into that territory and they told him, they said, uh, we're coming into Esau's territory. And so Jacob sent a message ahead to Esau. And Esau sent a message back, and the message basically said, Esau is coming with 400 of his armed men. And Jacob was terrified. Remember, the last time he saw Esau, Esau was swearing, you're a dead man as soon as we get daddy in the grave. Daddy's gone. And Jacob was so terrified, he took his wives concubines, children, and staggered them. He took the concubine or wife and the children that I guess he loved least and put them in the front. And then he took the concubine and her children that he loved second and put them there and worked his way all the way to Rachel and Joseph and Benjamin away back here in the rear. And they're slowly making their way to where Esau was. And Esau comes up there and he's waiting on 
Jacob because Jacob has been sending all of these gifts trying to, you know, butter him up. You know, I missed you, Jacob. I miss you, Esau. It's good to see you. Can't wait to see you and hug you. Well, when they got together, they did embrace and hug. And if it shows you anything, it shows you that even Esau could forgive. But he was no longer under his brother's authority. His tribe, his clan had grown strong. And just like dad had blessed him and said, there's coming a point in time where you'll have dominion and break the yoke off your neck that comes from your brother. So just because you may feel like you're in a subservient place right now, I'm telling you, if you walk with God, God knows how to promote you and give you the fatness of the earth so that you end up blessed. You don't have to be envious of anybody. We all start here and then we work our way up. And of course, as uh, the scripture said, just like with Isaac and Esau said earlier that Isaac had already passed away, not quite, but just like with Isaac and Ishmael, Finally, when Isaac did die, you know where Jacob and Esau were? Standing right there at the grave together, bearing their dead. Reconciliation is possible even after decades if people just keep their hearts right. And just because you think it's impossible for them to change, it is possible with God because all things are possible. Amen? Amen. Amen. If God could do all of this through them, please don't tell me God can't do wonders with you and your family. He he can. He can turn things around miraculously for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are the leader and guide of all of the little feet that are in here today. And the paths that we're on We know that you are taking us up and down through the valleys, over the mountains, and we pray for continual guidance. Let your blessing through Christ be upon us continually, and may we never fear man. May we never fear the adversary, but have total trust in you, in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen.